0: This is the Going In Circles Podcast, hosted by Horseman, Chuck Simon. To become a sponsor, to suggest topics, or for questions, email podcast at gmail.com. And log on to our Facebook page, Going In Circles Podcast. Here's your host, Chuck Simon. It's Monday. Welcome to Going in Circles. We're going to call this show Big Monday after the famous college basketball. Monday night uh, on ESPN doubleheader that uh, went by the wayside years ago. We have with us our special co-host for the Monday night show, Barry Spears, coming up in just a few. We have another show tomorrow, The Going in Circles Live on blogtalkradio.com. From 2 to 4, we have um, a theme show tomorrow. We're going to talk about uh, Sal Sinatra's proposal that he made at the virtual Jockey Club Roundtable on Sunday about eliminating claiming races, or at least dropping them to a level that is far, far lower than the the number that we currently run, which is about two-thirds of the races are, are claiming races. And sal made a proposal that's uh something that is used in other jurisdictions overseas and in other breeds uh the standard breeds and the dogs though the dogs are a little bit uh tougher to equate with with thoroughbred racing but um we're going to talk about that we have quite a few guests tomorrow and i hope that you will tune in for that show of course we will have the replay uh, that'll go out on Wednesday morning of that Tuesday show. We, we actually might even get it out tomorrow night, but um, I think there's there's a a lot to talk about in in changing the um, the game from a standpoint of a, a fundamental issue we have right now is the cards that we are running just aren't very good for the most part in a lot of jurisdictions and of course the number one problem trying to do anything new is that usually the people that are benefiting from the current setup a lot of times are those who have a lot of influence and they don't like to change because they just, they're just they doing well, why would they want to change? But the game is going to die if we don't change because right now In a lot of ways, it sucks, and we can pretend like, hey, everything's great, handles great, but it's not, and that's going to be a big part of tonight's show, the the head-in-the-sand approach that so many in this business want to take, and it's interesting that a lot of people that follow the sport, follow the game, but aren't employed in it, see so much clearer the path that we're headed down and i understand that a lot of times people are muzzled by their boss they aren't allowed to talk freely um and i i get that that happens in other industries as well but tonight uh we're going to talk about um about some things that might might happen And sure, COVID has a big, big, big effect on the business, far more than people probably even realize now that it seems to be business as usual, but it's not. There are are a lot of fundamental issues that exist that need to be addressed. So we will come right back with Mr. Barry Spears in just one minute. All right, we're back. Mr. Barry Spears has joined us. Barry... How are you today?
1: Hanging in there, man. New new week, new week. There's always good things going, new challenges, new things to talk about. So uh, I, I love Mondays.
0: Well, <laughs> one thing about Mondays, there's always uh, some interesting things that happen in racing over the weekend. Um, and it seems lately as though uh, there's more than enough topics... As there seemed like uh, every week we have a, a new, uh, a new best race ever. Uh, we have a new uh, issue to deal with. <laughs> we have a new proclamation. It's uh, this week doesn't seem to be any different. We have uh, we had an Alabama, which would serve to be the final Kentucky Oaks prep, and going into it, I, I know a lot of people were looking to poke holes. In uh, Ken McPeak's horse and uh, Swiss um, Swiss Swiss Skydiver, and uh, she kind of poked holes in the in the the, the poking hole theory. She just uh, dominated that field and 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 won uh, pretty much in a canter. That's an understatement, by the
1: way, the canter.
0: <laughs> you know, she
1: destroyed that field.
0: She she really did, and and. Uh, it was interesting in that, with the Oaks, excuse me, with the 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 Travers and the Alabama being one week apart for three year olds, and three year old fillies at at a mile and a quarter, which is not a distance that we see a lot, uh, for any horse, let alone three year olds. Um, I thought it was interesting that they had similar trips, uh, Tis the Law and and um, Swiss Skydiver and everything was kind of even the fractions were, were, were relatively uh similar um maybe a, a little bit a tick slower and I, I believe the track was probably a tick slower this saturday compared to last saturday but um when she accelerated kind of similar to what tis the law did uh kind of just left the rest of the field in in, in the dust and and um Tyler Gaffione took a, a pretty hard hold of her the last sixteenth oh, yeah. of a mile, um, and the time, the final time was was not great. Uh, I know she got a hundred and two buyer, and that probably plays more to the the the, the relatively uh, slow track. It seemed like we were dealing with their slower track than we were dealing with last week, but. Um, it was a it was an impressive performance that has, of course, people saying, "Well, maybe she should run in the Derby."
1: Oh yeah, they, I mean, I, I've heard a lot of that. I mean, I've seen it obviously on Twitter all weekend. Um, you know, as for the race itself, it didn't look, you know, at least visually, it didn't look like anybody was running behind her. Um, I, you know, it, it may be one of those situations where you get that optical illusion where. You know she was definitely best nobody was beating her by any means but it really didn't look like any of the other horses ran it looked like they were running on a record player and that you know those two things combined um may make that that performance in my opinion look better than it really was i'm not saying that it wasn't a great performance because it really it definitely was but Um, at least numbers-wise and and how fast they were going is kind of, um, you know, up in the air, uh, especially with the horses that were running behind her. Um, That being said, you know,
0: it was, what, about two seconds slower than Tis the Law? A a little over two seconds slower, yeah.
1: So you you would think that, you know, uh, a derby run wouldn't be in the cards. I mean
0: you know it's it's not uh, i mean ken mcpeak has has been pretty adamant that she's heading towards the the oaks and a showdown with with gamine um who to me and and i don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves because we still have a couple weeks to go before we start actually analyzing this race but i mean gamine is by into mischief and into mischiefs don't go a mile and an eighth is there ab seems to be based upon prior history, and we're talking a lot of good horses. A mile and an eighth is about as far as those horses want to go. Um, my question, and this is a question that doesn't come up much anymore, but remember when the Jockey Club Gold Cup was still at mile and a half, and yes. the Breeders' Cup Classic was a mile and a quarter? And they cut the Jockey Club Gold Cup back in distance because they said it was dulling too many horses' sp- uh, right. speed. Going and, into and, the and, Classic. Right, yeah. and and, and they, they didn't like the cut back in distance. And this is the rare case where a horse is coming into the Kentucky Oaks cutting back in distance from a mile and a quarter to a mile and an eighth. And and maybe it's it's an overstated, kind of old-fashioned opinion, but, um, it, I don't know, I just, it kept, it kept kind of, I kept thinking about that, and I remember Easy Goer came, came off the Classic, you know, he went into the Classic in 1989, and he kind of lagged on the backside, and of course, you know, everyone blames Pat Day for that, but, he, yeah, I don't think that was his fault. He had uh, watched that race a million times. He he just didn't have the the early he didn't this, have it. He didn't have it yeah. that day, and and uh, Sunday Silence got the got the jump on him, and uh, of course, totally different scenarios. But she is cutting back off a mile and a quarter off of three weeks, which is kind of an unusual. Uh, you don't see that happen these days. And listen, I commend I commend Mick Peak, um, for racing his horse. He's brought her everywhere. He's he's done great. I mean, the Philly's done nothing but good. Peter Callahan's a, is a is a good guy that owns her and he he's a guy that deserves success. He's he's uh you know been in the game forever and, and uh he's done well, but this is uh, clearly his best horse and um I mean if the other Philly, if Baffert's Philly wasn't in this race she would be a a a, a huge favorite. She would be a a, a <laughs> huge two. huge favorite in here, but I think it's an int- it's really it, it's a great matchup because you have the horse stretching out from seven 8 and the horse cutting back from a mile and a quarter, meeting at a mile and an eighth, which is kind of not exactly in the middle, but it's not that far, and uh, I think it's a really it's a compelling race.
1: Right, I was just gonna say, it's a compelling race. I mean. Maybe even more so than the derby um in some ways, uh because the you know like the 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 Phillies division kind of reminds me of of women's college basketball, you know where you got one or two teams that are really head and shoulders above everybody else, and then underneath those two, you kind of have everybody else and they're they're beating up on each other and they're pretty much the same, and that's kind of what it is this year you have. Gamine that's that's definitely a, a star. And and now you have Swiss skydiver on the other side. Um you know, it'd be nice to see them hook up and go head to head, um, especially in a in in a stretch duel type situation, but you know, you know, we can only hope. But um you know, as far as on the other side with the uh with the derby you have Art collector and then you have Tis Law. I mean, but it just feels like Tis the Law has, has a, an upper hand just because he's been everywhere and done everything. And, and, and the horse has just been in phenomenal form for a long time. Um, you know, good, bad, or otherwise, you know, they, you know, that remains to be seen on Derby Day. But, you know, you, you have to kind of give him the
0: nod, you know, above everybody else at this point. You know, it's funny that people want to try to find something wrong but outside of his one race at churchill downs which was clearly not his best race in, in uh, on his on his card there's it's hard to really come up with a um a knock i mean he's already won at the distance eased up the distance is not an issue and, that, and that's always a question for a lot of horses going into the derby you know, it's a September Derby. It's not a May Derby, so the horses are a little more mature and and uh, they're a little more grown up. But he can go a mile and a quarter. There's no question about that. Oh, he's yeah. he's yeah. done it. Uh, we're guessing Art Collector can do it. We're guessing Honor AP should be better at a mile and a quarter. Uh, Honor AP did work before the races. Uh, yeah, I saw at that Del Mar, <laughs> and and it was a good work, and um, but. He's a good horse. He's supposed to work. Right, way. he's supposed to work that Especially way. with and, and with, and people, with a with a jockey out there right that. before the races. It, it, you know, yeah. if he didn't work in in fifty nine and four or whatever he worked in, something's wrong. I, I would right. worry Some, about it. But um, he, you know, there's a lot of question marks. And the the truth is, and people hate to hear this, but it's true, and and everyone knows it. The Kentucky Oaks is probably more of a realistic, normal horse race than the Kentucky Derby, in that there's going to be six or seven horses for running them, and it's just the way it is. And they're going to be out there, and they're going to wind up 13th pulling up, and then we won't see them for a year, and everybody's like, oh. the But the, the Oaks is, is is a more truly run race most years. Mile and an eighth is, is a distance that we're, we're more used to. I mean, unfortunately, it's getting to be uh, more rare as... As the distance racing in this country just kind of goes by the wayside, the overnight races it it's so hard to get anything to go going long, but um uh, uh, turf of course but outside of the turf and I I don't know exactly what the field makeup is going to be for the oaks but I can't imagine there's a lot of people I know Brad uh, Cox has a filly that's pretty good and um. There's a couple other fillies that that are that are not bad horses, but I mean, you saw what what happened to horses who were considered contenders this this weekend. Spice they, is nice, they, for example. They, they just, just got spit out the they just got just... blown away, and <laughs> it's um it's going to be um um it's going to be an interesting two days. Hopefully, hopefully, hopefully everything goes okay the the main horses make it there there's no issues hopefully the weather is decent i tell you the first week of september in kentucky can be scorching hot. hot 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 it's not fall there it is hot in kentucky in the summertime and september 6th or 7th or whatever it is is going to be hot so hopefully we don't get any uh tornadoes or any kind of nutty weather and we get a fair shake at at seeing these really good horses perform and uh it'll be interesting too in that Swiss Skydiver will have another will will have a different rider I think Brian Hernandez yeah is is gonna be named yeah that
1: situation is is crazy also um but yeah if it rains you know I, I think at least in the Derby our collector might move up a bit um but you know, obviously, that's that's in Mother Nature's hands. Uh, but yeah, you know, here, here
0: we are, I mean, a month out, speculating yeah. on the weather. <laughs> <laughs> hey,
1: man, we're, we're, we're prognosticators, bro. That's that's what we do.
0: <laughs> sadly, sadly, there's there's not a whole lot of interesting racing going on in the next couple weeks. Um, no,
1: this this upcoming weekend is
0: is pretty dull. Yeah, the 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 Derby weekend is going to be a, a really. Strong weekend. Obviously, the Derby, the Derby undercard. You got the closing week of Saratoga. You have the Monday, the big card at Kentucky Downs on Labor Day, which is also closing day at Saratoga. You have uh, um Pimlico has got five hundred thousand dollar races, mostly preps for their big weekend, which will be the first weekend in, in October. Um, so uh, that that, that, that kind of precedes uh-huh. the 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 first week in uh, October. You're going to have Kentucky's gonna have their huge card. There's gonna be a big card at Belmont, all the Breeders' Cup preps, uh out West they'll have a bunch of uh, a big card and um it'll be interesting kind of to see how we were talking about it before, how the Preakness Um and its card is generally relatively unopposed when it's run in its traditional um third week in, in May spot but this year being a month after the derby <laughs> clearly if Tis the law is going for the triple crown there'll be an, an an immense amount of of um of coverage and and, and uh ex- spotlight on, on that race if one of the two fillies wins this race the oaks coming up and and decides to point to the Preakness and tis the law comes out of the <laughs> Derby with a win. I mean, that really becomes a, a super yeah, interesting, really race. interesting. Yeah. But yeah. the problem is, is that like we, we talked before we came on about a lot of people in this business and inside the industry, people that work in the business, people that own, train, um, work at the tracks or whatever capacity this is one of the few businesses i've ever seen that people absolutely do not want to hear bad news and the people that tell the truth sometimes the reality are are criticized for saying that and i see trainers complaining at certain tracks that they're not running more races that the purses aren't high enough that they're not running enough stakes that they're not doing this and that and I don't think people realize how how tenuous our, our position is in a lot of places I can say this about Gulfstream Park and about Tampa Bay Downs in the grand scheme uh, Tampa Bay has gotten zero money from slot mu- slots uh, they get yeah. a pittance yeah, from the cards uh Gulfstream does not really get very much money. The Gulfstream casino is not very big. It doesn't generate a lot of money. Calder, uh, is likewise, is not, not a real powerful, strong casino. We, we get a, a decent amount of first money there, but, but not enough to make it. Uh, listen, we don't want to lose it, and it'll hurt if we do. And there's a whole bunch of lawsuits and things going on still um, involving that. But the one thing that the Florida tracks have going for them is that a great deal of their purse uh, money is still derived from, from good old-fashioned handle and not from alternate sources. And we're seeing at a lot of these places, uh, the Finger Lakes was very, very late to open up, and, and they have a very short schedule um, places like uh delaware some of the harness tracks that they're barely open and they they depend so much on alternate sources when those alternate sources dry up a little bit like like what's happened during this covid shutdown the fact that there's not a whole hell of a lot of money bet on the races starts to really hurt and places like parks where they get 90% of their money from somewhere other than the betting dollar. And they had their chance. They were getting tons and tons and tons of money. They could have worked on the takeout. They could have tried to make their betting product uh, a a more attractive... They're a year-round track, essentially, in a major metropolitan area. And the handle is not nearly what it should be. And part of that, I mean, part of that, a huge reason is because of the takeout situation in the state of Pennsylvania. And in a lot of ways, we've squandered the money that we've got there. And the harness guys, uh, listen, in Pennsylvania, they're in the same boat. Yep. Pocono Downs, it's hard to win a race there. The horses there are tough. They go fast. But nobody bets. It's all it's all money coming from alternate sources, and now that those alternate sources are, are 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 hurting, and state governments are hurting. Isn't it Mohegan
1: Sun Pocono?
0: Mohegan Sun Pocono. Yep. Um,
1: I mean that that says it all.
0: <laughs> and uh, and I and I understand. Listen, from the racing, from from just the racing people itself, the guys riding the races, trying to get the... they're not in charge of going to the government and changing. Rules they're not in charge of that, that those aren't the people we're, we're we're pointing a finger at we're pointing a finger at 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 the higher ups and I think thoroughbred racing especially has been very much um, it's a sport that's had its head in the sand for a long 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 time, and people keep thinking that it's just going to keep going on and a lot of them just people are, are are they're either kidding themselves or they just don't understand the history and when you start to look at things like some of our major metropolitan areas no longer have horse racing and you want to talk about the history of the game all of the major his, uh, 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 all of the major metropolitan areas had racing Outside of Atlanta and now we're in a situation where There's no Chicago racing. Where Chicago racing is going to be down to Hawthorne only when it, when I was a kid the sportsman's park hawthorne um there was but, but when I, uh, Washington park but but that predates oh, yeah. that predates me uh and Arlington so you had four tracks you're going to be down to one. Uh, a harness racing in Chicago has, has been decimated. Um, Boston, the New, New England area, was a hotbed for thoroughbred racing. And yes, it wasn't the greatest racing, but it was solid and a lot of Trust really me, good I, horsemen and company. In that area. Right. Yeah, I grew up in that area and, and you know, the Rockingham Park in the
1: summer and you know, Suffolk Downs most of the every, every other part of the year. It was it wasn't great racing like you said, it was cheap but it was good. You know, and, and and it got a lot of play once kind of simulcasting came in the fold, and now uh, I think Rockingham Park is like a mall or something or a shopping center,
0: and, and Suffolk, Suffolk has the same Downs way. Done. Yeah. So you have a whole really populated area of the country with, um, with 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 a with a, with a really great racing tradition that's uh-huh. just gone and. You have Chicago, which is a, a, a real problem. Yeah, well, I, mean, I mean, you don't ha- listen. You you don't have to be, you don't have to we be Nostradamus to to look at Los Angeles and think we might not have much racing there in a decade from now either. You're, you're down to Santa Anita and La Salle, and La Salle is owned by a guy in his late 80s who said that when he croaks, the tracks goes too. So we don't probably have double digit years at Los Al. You have Hollywood Park; it's gone. Calder's gone, for all intents and purposes. And it's it's kind of um, it's kind of frightening because places like parks and Penn National and um, Delaware, if they don't get slot money revenue, significant amounts of it, how are they going to stay open? as anything but total minor league tracks. And it it's 2020. We can't go back to days where we have $11,000 purses. Not in those kind of tracks. Not, not in those areas. No. And it'll devastate the breeding industry. And there's a real problem. in And in, in this is not to say that there's a lot that trainers or owners, anybody can really do. I mean, it's not like we can make the politicians help us or not, or make the politicians not kill us. But you have to remember that with COVID, with the economic losses, with the amount of money they're paying, states have paid in unemployment and, and all these other um, areas, especially, uh, not to get political, but especially some of the Democratic states like Pennsylvania and Illinois. Illinois was in a deficit already. They were already getting federal money. And now their unemployment, they, they've spent billions and billions and billions and billions. Well, at some point, they're going to start looking around Where again. And they're going to say, cut? oh, horse racing. Wow. Nobody likes horse racing, cut them. They get a lot of money. All we ever hear about is they're a dying sport. So you have you have a governor in Pennsylvania who was trying to take money from horse racing and he wasn't trying to to skim a little off the top. The guy was trying to take most of all of it. And, And you're gonna be in a situation where they're gonna have to raise taxes and he's already raised taxes. So they need revenue. And we might feel safe because, oh well, the law says that we get this amount and this amount and this amount. But guess what? laws change. And how are we going to go to the governor's mansion or or the legislature in any of these states and say, "Hey, you you need to to keep giving us X amount." And then they're going to say, "Well, our our education system is is failing and this and that and and we we were we're hugely underfunded in in uh, the public pension fund, public workers, blah 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 blah, and 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 we're going to lose every time in that. And I don't think yeah. that people understand that our our position is very precarious. And um, look at Monmouth right now. Monmouth is too, oh my god! I
1: saw I saw that article. We we
0: we have a, a, a an issue where purses have been paid out for one day, opening day. And the contract with Truesdale uh, Laboratory out in California states that they are supposed to I think the the eight days is the, um, by contract is the longest it's supposed to take to get the results back. And $7 million is sitting in the Horsens Bookkeeper because the testing hasn't been done on the horses. And that's a killer. That is an absolute Huge. killer for for cash flow. Um it's it's just uh most tracks turn that turn that money around pretty quick. And, well I have a question for you. Yes.
1: Um Do you really think that the horse racing higher ups are not sweating this behind closed doors? I mean, I know they like to give the facade and, and everybody was like, oh, well, we're still running during uh, the pandemic. We're still we we're, were the only game in town, you know, and obviously that really doesn't mean much when you consider all of the other factors that go into this. Like you were mentioning now that, you know, that the, the economic ramifications of covid are really hitting states.
0: No, I, mean, I know that...
1: They should, have, they should have saw this coming.
0: A lot of these guys um, do know Barry. They they know. But unless you're the boss boss, unless you're at the top of the food chain, unless you're the owner, you know, you you you're still trying to stay employed. And I know that there's a major jurisdiction, as major as there is, that if they don't get their casino back up and running relatively soon they're not going to have enough money to conduct winter racing and people will, their jaws will drop when they find out where this place is. And hopefully oh, yeah, things, more than one. <laughs> well, uh, right, exactly. But the big one is the big one. And, and that's the one like, I mean, let's be honest. And, and I know we're kind of picking on parks today, but if parks shuts down for three months, nobody gives a shit except for the people at parks because people don't bet much at that place. And they're kind of an uh, they're kind of an insulated place. I mean, for a while they weren't even letting ship-ins come in, so it, it, it's just kind of those poor guys that are there, kind of stuck. But um, you're talking about like like what we got when we originally started talking about this. Tracks like Gulfstream and Tampa that are still deriving much of their of their handle from handle or their their purse money from handle. They're in a little better shape, not great. But a little better shape than the tracks that that don't, because it's hard for a track with a high takeout rate that people don't really follow along that well to suddenly make themselves more attractive for people to bet significantly more on them, and that's that's an issue. And and listen, horsemen are to blame. Horsemen in a lot of horsemen's well, in a lot of these it. places. <laughs> Are 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 willing to sign off on on these things, and a lot. Of, I'll be honest. People think horsemen have or horsemen's groups have power. Horsemen's groups do not have the power that they used to have, simply because they're not the number one game in town anymore. In a lot of cases, we're just kind of the, um, you know, they have to have us. But um, you know, like when you have to invite that uncle to your party, and you know he's. <laughs> You don't really want to because he always kind of like makes a makes a fool of himself and is a pain in the ass and he costs a lot of you know breaks something and but you have to invite him because you know he's family. Well, that's kind of how racetracks look at us, you know, like they have us and you know, but they'd much rather just have a casino because people just come there and drop money off and they don't have to pay for training and they don't have people picketing and there's 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 not. Uh, Uh, horses running loose and and, and they don't have to house hundreds of of workers and the electricity bill and the water bill and the track maintenance and all the issues that come along with us. Um, They could do without. They could do without. (laughs) It's it's, it's, it's (laughs) expensive for a racetrack to shut down racing and continue to keep the backside open and conduct training it's not cheap it's expensive Um,
1: well in my head you know I I just imagine some CFO you know kind of looking at these things and going to somebody at the top and saying hey look there there's something wrong here we got to do something about this because this is not sustainable and you know obviously you know on the outside looking in we hear the numbers the handle numbers are great this year as compared to last year or the same and, but there, there's an inherent problem here that like you said people are just not wanting to address or afraid of what the ramifications are of putting this out there or, or doing something about it I, I, I don't know and it's really kind of uh, frustrating and confusing that nothing's been done I mean they're still going about it like Hey, there's nothing nothing to see here. We're we're just gonna keep pumping our, our handle numbers and say, Hey, we, we did a lot on this day and we did a lot on this weekend as if there isn't anything wrong. And that's that's kind of alarming because I would think people in those kind of positions would have the wherewithal to, to understand the whole problem and then kind of work their way into fixing it. And now it's at a point where it's it's almost at an emergency level when these with these tracks are being rumored to be shutting down at the, at the, before the end of the year. I mean, that's a huge problem, and, and I haven't heard anything, but you address it, some people on Twitter, and that's about it. That's scary.
0: I get that you don't want to be the purveyor of doom if you own a, a racetrack, if you run a racetrack, because, you know, any business, you want to try to accent the positives and... and kind of, you know, downplay the negatives. Understandable, but racing has done a terrible job over the years of planning, of any sort of long-term planning. The only organization in racing that seems to be really good at planning is Churchill Downs, and all their plans include shutting tracks down. (laughs) So, um, that's the thing, is that you, you lose confidence in some of the players and some of the things are beyond our control and some of the things you know you can't just come out and say things um in certain situations because you know what you might be doing something because the politicians want you to do it and listen there's been cases when i ran horses and races that looked stupid and a lot of times it was because the owner wanted to run and I just couldn't talk him out of it. And I didn't have a, a, a backup option. So you know what we did? We bit the bullet. We ran in the race. Well, when the guy in the racing forum says, you know, wow, this horse looks wildly overmatched. I don't call him up and say, yeah, but the owner made me do it. You know what you do? You say, yep, you're right. We were a little bit overmatched. And that's the way it goes. And I think sometimes, especially when you're dealing with the state and health, uh, people that can shut you down, you don't exactly want to throw the onus on them right away you don't want to say you <laughs> we'd love to be open but these jerks won't let us open because you know they're worried about this and that so i i know sometimes there's a, a delicate balance but but like i said racing is is such a fragmented um a fragmented business in so many ways and <laughs> I, I i keep going back to a guy a guy made a, a statement to me and a really smart guy and he's not really part of the industry, but he's he's a big better and and his comment was he goes, tracks are so short sighted in that they see other tracks as their competition. They're battling against other tracks for the same piece of pie. Meanwhile, sports betting looms, casinos <laughs> loom, all That's these things come and and as they grow and they get more um, ingrained in people's consciousness and they do more for their players and they 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 come up with more and, and listen sports a lot of the sports betting uh, the, the casinos that have sports betting the their bookmaker the the books are egregiously bad when it comes to dealing with guys that actually win they want to at the drop of a hat they'll throw guys out because they're beating them and we've heard a lot of stories about this, and, and of course they want to cover those things up. So it's not like it's all perfect, but the normal guy, the regular guy, the weekend guy, right now, a lot of those guys, they look at what happens in these jackpot pools where these places, um, these uh, kind of mysterious, nebulous computer program players seem like they hit far too high a percentage um, of these jackpot wagers and they start to feel like suckers and when they see the odds change in race they start to feel like suckers and when the stewards make indefensible decisions they start to feel like suckers and they say to themselves well you know what the NBA playoffs are starting Hmm. I can bet I can, I can bet first quarter scores. I can bet individual player scores. I can bet versus this guy versus that guy. Maybe I'll watch that game. Two and a half hours. You and- know, it's funny you say that
1: because a few weeks ago, um, FanDuel just gave everybody 10 bucks. I never played it before. <clears throat> and I was inclined to try it. And I had fun. I, I bet uh, it was basically just NBA games. I won. I doubled my money. And I was definitely playing it again um, you know I don't know how many people did that out of the $10 that they gave pretty much anybody with, a, with an account um, and I don't even remember why I opened the account I must have gotten an email from somewhere and I was just like alright I'll just take a look and just never did anything with it but I was talking to somebody and I was like you know what I, I can't remember where I, there was a time where I just you know went to a racetrack or playing on an ADW, where the track has given me anything,
0: any money. No, they they, so have, they have a lot. They, there's a lot of sign-up programs. There's a lot of things but that if, doesn't if, do if, anything if, for guys like if, us. Right, right. We play so, all the time. so, like, what, if you, know? you if you if you join them when you're new, they'll give you something to to get you in. But like you said, once you're in, they say, "Oh well, you know, we got this guy. He's gonna he's hooked, he's hooked anyways." So. And listen, we can say... The, the, the interesting thing, and kind of the sad thing, is that racetracks are far more enlightened these days to gamblers than they used to be. And that's not saying they're doing a good job. Uh, most of them do, you know, a barely passable job. But they're they're much better about it than they used to be. And a lot of it... I mean, I keep posting these... Old programs on Facebook and and um, I think that's one of the things that, that if you run a track, you should be forced to look at and saying this is what we this is this is what I'm talking about when I complain about our cards when I look at a card at Saratoga and you don't have a, a field bigger than seven or eight when you have six and five horse uh, allowance races and maiden races this is what I'm complaining about and I get it. There's issues this year, and there's COVID, and there's not as many guys coming, but there's always excuses. Every year there's excuses. When the when the Diana has 12 nominations and seven of them are Chad Brown and four of them are Chris Clement, then, like, that's not COVID. That's nothing to do with COVID. But we, 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 we tend to want to wish it away. Oh, well, you're just jealous. No, I'm not jealous. I don't want to train good horses. I don't want to train any horses. I don't need that kind of pressure. I don't need that kind of shit in my life. I'm not saying that. I say this as a person who understands the game at every single level. I've been everywhere in this business. I've had really good horses. I've had really crappy horses. I've bought thousand dollar horses. I've bought two three hundred thousand dollar horses. I've been overseas both east and west. I've bred horses, I've I've sold horses at auction, I've worked in the racing office. I've done almost everything there is to do, and and I love the sport and I love the game. And sometimes you have to to to, to fix something. You've got to admit it's like a twelve step program. The first step, you got to admit that you're powerless so over the over the problem. And racing, we're almost powerless when you have a stake like Saturday or Friday at Saratoga. And I understand it's going to be the COVID this and that. 18 horses nominated to a two-year-old uh, stake on the turf going five ace and 13 are Wesley Wards. And I understand Wesley Ward's really good at two-year-olds and he focuses on them and he's got, he's got to have 300 horses, at least 300 horses. But what are we going to do when, when <laughs> he's got 13 out of 18 nominated. He's got three out of the six. Well, the, you know, that, that's the it's a stake, that, he that, can scratch two. And then we're going to have a four-horse race. And then what, what if someone else actually physically does actually get sick or, or, or you know, grabs a quarter or something? So all of a sudden you're looking at a two, three-horse steak at Saratoga. Yeah, you mean to tell gross. me it, 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 it's a problem? And people want to say, well, the, the best thing is when I hear oh, well, it's free market. No, it's not. It's not a free market. Free market has to do with government regulation. Right. No, the government doesn't regulate our backside. The government doesn't say, "Well, you can only have 50 stalls or 100 stalls or 600 stalls or this or that." That's us. That's what, that's what that's what we do. And you can complain all you want about um well, owners should be able to send their horses to whoever they want. You're right; they should be able to send them to whoever we want. But the Yankees can't have a 75 man roster because they have a a a 50 million dollar uh, a year TV contract, local TV contract, and and uh, the Milwaukee Brewers can only have a 25 man roster because they only have a four million dollar local TV contract. But in horse racing, we let that happen, and then we and then the best is we say how great the guys are with 75. <laughs> Pat him on the back every yeah. day. You know, some of these guys—they're supposed to win at 25 or 30 percent. Why wouldn't they win at 25 or 30? Oh well, they must be what? Yeah, they're doing something. They're running better horses most of the time. Not everybody's out there with uh, some kind of go-go juice. And I'm not naive enough to think that there aren't. But like some of the stuff, like. <sighs> It these are the things... We, we have to fix the things that we can fix.
1: Right, exactly. What well, you control, you can you can fix. Fix what you have in your control and then, you know, you can kind of work on that other stuff.
0: I, I've said and- this for 15 years, Barry. The product is getting worse. Our product is what we put on the racetrack on a daily basis. Not just Super Saturday, not just Derby, the undercard. Every other day. That's our product. We're set... Racetracks are in the business of selling tickets, selling bets, and they don't do a great job at it. And now they've favored some of the the bigger customers to the point where the smaller customers say, we have no chance. We have no chance. And yet the jackpot wager is... Did racetrack executives friend in their eyes because it gets these big giant handles and they have the payout days and everybody bets their track and and they get more residual handle on those days but then everybody starts to figure out well yeah but it's all getting eaten up by the guys who are who are playing directly into the pools who who know what the you know who know what i played who know what the odds are gonna be not what the odds are and and that, and that's a problem. And a guy, so a guy advantage. made a, a guy. Uh, well, I think I can't remember who put. I, I can't give, I can't give the proper attribution to the person who said it on Twitter. I, it might have been Paul Maddie's, who's actually going to be on the show tomorrow. Um, oh wow, that's good. Paul he's, came he's, up. He's really good, man. About really good. six years ago. Knows his stuff. Exactly, and, and he's not. He's willing to say something, and he's not um, an alarmist. He's not trying to set fires everywhere. He's trying to make the game better and he came up with a system uh kind of what sal sinatra was talking about in a little different fashion and this was really kind of geared towards naira um and this was in 2014 at at the pace advantage website and it's an interesting way of looking at it and he certainly he put a lot of time into it and a lot of thought into it and uh and we'll have him on tomorrow to kind of discuss that and uh, you know, a way that maybe we can formulate how to create races that are more competitive with bigger fields that will garner more regular handle. Not, not, um, uh, not necessarily a batch player handle. But I think I think he was the one who said it. But he said, "We have a problem when the winners are upset. When a guy bets a horse at <laughs> seven to two, and uh, he, goes, when he as he's walking in the gate and he crosses the wire, he's nine to five. Now he's mad. So now, now the guys who won, got, it used to be the guys that got beat got mad. Now it was the guys well, who win get everybody, mad. So mad now. if if right, if, if everybody's mad, then I, how is that sustainable?" And I get, like, you can't just... Do, one track can't just figure it all out. But at some point, the tracks are going to have to start to work together and figure shit out. Period. Well, figure you, it you out. Know, the, what's what's crazy to me is, like, you know, you were
1: telling me how... <clears throat> or you were just saying how how you work at every level of the game. And I know you're, you're kind of unique in that regard, but there are other people... That have done things that you've done. Why would not? Why would a track not use that to their advantage and hire and you as an unbiased
0: consultant? <laughs> you know hey, what I mean? Now, hey, me, hey, hey now, 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 you're trying. Somebody that was somebody else's kid. Now you're like or, Monster.com. You're trying to you're trying to, to get me a job, but hey, man. But but it, it, I mean, consulting person, gig, like consulting like Paul gig. Maddy's, for real, somebody like Paul Maddie's. You know.
1: He has a different perspective of it than you do. But he'd be totally valuable as a consultant to a racetrack or a racetrack executive and be like, hey, you know, uh, you know, I don't know, just periodically even send a a report saying, hey, this is what I see. This is what can be
0: fixed. And and all right, well, we're going to take a look at it and see what we can do now. There are some really smart guys. Like there, there there are some sharp guys on Twitter who love the game. And they're frustrated. Guys like Paul, guys like uh, inside the pylons, um, <laughs> guys like uh, Marshall um, Graham, guys who understood, who are way smarter than I am, who understand the math way better than I do. And I listen to them, and I and I, I hear what they said. And sometimes, a lot of times, I'm telling you, when you first hear what some of the things they say, you say to yourself, That's eh? Crazy. These guys are just kind of they're just kind of grouchy guys and, and then you start to understand you, you start to take what they have to heart and you start to look. and I was always a defender of horsemen because horsemen are, I mean let's face it. the general view of horsemen over the years has not been favorable. It's been kind of uh, hucksters or hillbillies or Sharpies or, you know, and, and that's a lot of that comes from movie portrayals and a lot of it comes from the, the reality. And it's funny that the Horseman, I was talking about this today with, with, with a Horseman's representative and I said, we do a, a, a horrific job on social media which is how the world gets its information nowadays and we get beat up constantly because the tracks blame us all the time and the tracks blame us, so the betters blame us. And we get blamed for things, uh, I see people saying, well, you guys should cut a better deal with the racetrack. Yeah, you think so? You think we should? (laughs) Really? So let me ask you a question. When I was in Kentucky years ago, and we tried to get a lawyer to go sit in on negotiations, sit in, Not not even, he was an observer on our side. And Churchill Downs wouldn't come to the table. They walked out. And Churchill Downs is sending guys who went to Princeton and Yale, and we're sending guys who who uh, who who went to uh uh you know North Louisville High. What do you, who, who do you think is going to win in those kind of things? Not now. Now they've got um not just Churchill all the tracks. Now now they've gotten uh, other businesses and 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 other interests, and and we're not the. You know, we're, we're not their 50-50 partner anymore on, on, on things. So now we've lost our leverage in, in that way. And to think that we can just go in there and say, well, this is what we want. Well, what, what are we going to do? Strike? <laughs> yeah, that'll go over big. 90% of the guys can't. They can't. That's why guys in New York, uh, excuse me, New Jersey are dying right now because they haven't been able to get purse money for five weeks. And they're dying because it comes off of a couple months of not being able to get much purse money. No one's getting paid everybody's out. we don't have any leverage that's the that's the point we don't have any leverage if you're a big better and you bet a a big ticket and you bet a significant amount of money on a on a weekly or monthly basis, you got more power than the horsemen, maybe you don't have more power than Bob bafford, who they all seem to like you know he kind of gets his way no matter where he wants and Chad Brown and you know these guys kind of they get their way because they're the biggest fish but in general what 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 really what leverage do we have what leverage do we have we have uh, if, if the laws were ever changed and the interstate um horse racing act was struck down there's there's really no telling what would happen we, if they didn't need our permission, I mean, that's really the only thing we can do. But but in, in, in this day and age, are we really going to block a simulcast signal? I mean... You want the answer to that or? <laughs> Exactly. It, it's, it's like... It, it's not even... They know we're not going to do it, and we can threaten, but it, we're not going to do it. We're not going to do it. And... I mean, put it this way. This isn't a really... It's a big industry, but it's not a big industry. And when you look at, we don't really even have a, a national horseman's group. There's a national HBPA, but two or three of the big tracks and states, they're not even a member of that organization. Right, they don't recognize it. In Pennsylvania, you you have you have two different horsemen's organizations for three tracks. So. I mean, we we haven't even been able to get come up with with one organization, one umbrella organization to to represent horsemen uh, nationwide, and and people want to talk about having a a national um, authority. Yeah, that's impossible. <laughs> it, it's, I you know you have to be careful what you wish for because in a lot of ways, national authority some of the ways the way some of the states operate to regulate. If they operated on a national level, phew, we'd be out of business. And whenever you're, you become beholden to politicians, you are beholden to politicians. And if the other guys win the election this time, well, guess what? Maybe the guys we had were pretty good. Except now what? They're gone because there's a new chief in town, a new sheriff in town, there's a new uh, hierarchy, and they're going to put their people in. And maybe their people aren't so great. We, we see that in Florida a lot. In Florida, we don't have a racing commission. We're, we're regulated by the Department of Business Regulation, which has 38 different divisions. We're the paramutual division, one of 38. And it's a low-rung uh, political job, the head of the Department of Business Regulation. And it's generally lawyers. And then appointees. Aren't they yes, appointees? Appointees. And. <coughs> when put it this way if you're wanting to be a, a politician is your career track the department of business regulation is is a nice it's a nice uh, resume builder yeah. but you're not going to stay here for a decade so you're going to be here you going maybe 2 years and then you're going to move you're going to move up you're going to move over you're going to do something and if you happen to be in charge when the election happens and New people come in, then you're going to be gone, and and the other guys guys are going to be here, and it's kind of um, the 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 guy who's in charge now, he's actually not bad, he 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 listens somewhat, and then they have listen they have tons of problems. I wanted to I wanted to go to Tallahassee and burn the damn office down when they when they scratched my horse because oh, oh, yeah. of, because I was licensed <laughs> twice, <laughs> but um,
1: and and the funny thing about that is it wasn't that long. Ago.
0: No, but you know, you can't blame government dysfunction on, on one person. Um But we had a guy a few years ago who came in and he kind of swept in and he was kind of a, he was kind of a cocky guy and he was a hotshot lawyer and he had all these ambitions. He came in and it was a by the book thing. And we had owners that have been licensed for years and years and years and suddenly, they had to go get um, documentation about um, things that happened 20, 30 years ago. I had an owner who had a DUI 30 years ago. 30 years ago. Oh, my God. And he's been licensed everywhere. This is a guy. He was a kid. He was like 19 when it happened. And you know what? He, he guy hasn't done a thing wrong since. He's got no violations. He's you know, record is perfect. No issues. Upstanding member of the of his community good owner paid his bills, did the right thing for his horses. I mean the type of guy you you dream about getting as an owner, and to get him licensed, he had to hire a lawyer because when he went to get the documentation they asked for, the people at the town hall that he that this incident happened at laughed at him and said. Why would we possibly still have that kind of stuff here? We went digital 12 years ago, and, and those things, the only things we kept were, like, Class A felonies or something like that. And back then, DUI just was was not. So, so what you're looking for doesn't really exist. We can give you, like, uh, paper. some some, some sort of, stamp. yeah, like... Something with a stamp on right, it. Right, but it <laughs> wasn't what they were wanting. And they didn't want to accept that and the guy's like hey what you are asking for does not exist in this world this was a 30 year old uh document you're looking for i've been he said i've had my my driver's license for 29 years since then i couldn't possibly uh have have not taken care of this and this is just one of those extremely stupid things and people say can that really happen yes it can happen i i i know it's happened and you know, you kind of take your license renewal for granted. Sometimes you just say, well, I'm just going to go fill it out. And I I haven't committed any, uh, I haven't been arrested since I was last licensed. I haven't got suspended or anything. So I, this should be an open and shut thing. I should bring the, the, um, the check in, fill out the paperwork and and sign it. and, And we should be good to go. And, uh, well, you know, you know what happened to me? The, I wasn't good to go, even though I, they had taken my money and they had taken my application they decided that uh I, I was uh undue risk and um you know it's i don't want to rehash that whole thing but it was just a a great example of how um when racing people lose control of 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 racing things we you, know, you lose control <laughs> right everybody
1: and, suffers and you know I mean?
0: um it,
1: it's it's a shame because the people that are running it have no idea how anything works. They're just like, oh, well, this says this, and they're looking at books and procedures and things like that. When it's it's more than that. It's, it's a real world example, and 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 people that know are in the business understand. At least get somebody that knows the business to at least
0: hang around. Well, one of but the funny not how it works. you know one of the funny things you always hear about well racing is, you know <clears throat> racing can't regulate itself. I said, when has racing ever had to regulate itself? Racing doesn't... uh, Most of the regulatory bodies that regulate racing uh, don't really have a... Racing doesn't have a whole lot of jurisdiction over them. Those are politically appointed people most places. And... uh, It's a good and a bad thing. I mean, there's there's certainly things that racing could do, uh, the tracks could do, to self-regulate... The tracks don't have to give stalls to people they think are questionable, but they do. I I think one of the funniest things racetracks do is they give more stalls to guys that that they wind up sticking security at their barn. And, of course, that never works. But uh, my question is, if you feel that you need to put security at someone's barn, why are you giving them more stalls? Why are you letting them in? No, not just letting in. Why are you giving them more stalls? It happens everywhere too. It's not a isolated thing. It happens in a lot of different places and it's it's kind of a bizarre um thing. <laughs> you know, you, you say, well, if the guy's questionable, why are you letting him expand at your expense? Because if you're right and he really is questionable, isn't it a bigger hit if he goes down? too big to fail simple math man simple, simple math. math barry uh we're actually going to have a, an advertisement soon so we're practicing having breaks okay so we're going to have a little break yes we we actually have um a couple of things coming up pretty soon and we've kind of tried not to we tried to get established a little bit and um you know get get our numbers up there and uh I'm not going to just take anybody, that's for sure. It's going to be a product or a service that that I believe in and and people that uh, that I I think are are worthwhile being partners with. But uh, we will take a short break, and we'll be back in one minute. All right, we are back. Mr. Barry Spears is still with us, our... Our Monday co-host, the the Big Monday. It's it's a Big Monday program now. <laughs> Remember, they used to have the the Big East had the first game and the, the uh, the Big Twelve had the had the second game. Oh yeah, and, ESPN back in the day, and and oh, no. Kansas was always part of the second game. Because <laughs> Kansas was the only
1: one any good at that point. in the Big 12. <laughs> <laughs> the Big what was it? Uh,
0: the Big Eight. The Big Wasn't Eight, at some point? yeah. Oh man, the Big eight and... Showing my age. Yep. <laughs> I, I remember when it was a pack eight. Pack eight, yeah. Oh Lord. <laughs> yeah, things are a lot different. it's it's uh you know, we, we talked about this briefly last week, but college football, which there seems to be still some life left in a couple conferences, but um college football being postponed would be um would be a big boon I think to racing in that that's a major competitor for a gambling dollar and this is strictly i mean I'm essentially grabbing this out of the air and it's mostly based upon my own um uh connections and and people that I know but I think that the the crossover between football betters and horse racing is far greater than most other sports. Yeah. That that makes sense. I mean, I don't know a whole lot of guys that bet a lot on baseball um or e- even basketball. I only know a couple of guys that bet much on basketball and bo- and most of the time they lose. Well,
1: fantasy basketball like FanDuel, that that's insane. That's
0: but that cool. that's that's a new that's it's kind of a, a, that's kind of a new uh I mean, it's not brand new but I'm talking twenty twenty five years of of. Uh, oh, just straight up betting. Yeah, you know, uh, it, it seemed like a lot of the um, stuff, yeah. a lot of the guys I knew from the track when I was a kid, uh, they were either bookmakers or they they were familiar with bookmakers and uh, <laughs> you know football season was was the big uh, was was the big season, but um that that would be a major hole in in on saturday afternoons which is racing's biggest day uh, i don't know if the nfl would shift some games to saturday i mean i guess it's possible but um uh it's uh you know everything is kind of up in the air but um it would be uh yeah,
1: college football looks looks bleak i, I know I, I was reading that uh North Carolina, University of North Carolina,
0: like, canceled classes. They're, they're doing all virtual. Yeah, they, they tried, and, and it, it's just... You know, college sports are different than pro sports, and... Much different. You know, the guys... <laughs> uh, I get a lot of the times that we, we look at them as kind of like, like minor leagues for pro sports, but 5% of college football players go on and become pros for more than a tryout camp it's 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 a hugely small number so the vast majority of those guys um are not going to go ahead and be pro football players and there are no other real leagues it's not like basketball where there's a million leagues overseas and you can find uh, i mean sp- you personally uh played overseas and uh i mean there there's leagues in china there's leagues in the middle east there's leagues in france and the the italian and the spanish leagues are are really good um, yeah, a, a friend of mine <laughs>
1: funny enough I went to high school with he went to a you know, kind of ordinary D three school. Um <clears throat> played over in Greece in like a third division team and he was playing with high school kids and they were paying him.
0: Yeah, that's and
1: he had to basically kinda of work his way up. Right. Which was kinda, you know, strange at the time, you know, when when I figured, you know, when he was telling me this. But I mean like you said there's there's a million basketball leagues out there there's so many ways you could play
0: uh basketball if you if you you're pretty decent yeah and, and there's um, coaching opportunities is, there's what, scouting opportunities football. you got Canadian football
1: I don't know what's the deal with XFL that the rock bought it I don't know what the hell is going to go with that <laughs> and then
0: you, you know NFL you know what's and, funny is I watched some of those games and actually was semi entertained <laughs> by them and the rock buying it is just like the greatest kind of <laughs> i mean it's it's funny, it's kind of got overlooked but but coming off of ballers, you know where he buys a team, and that's, it's, it's like, like ballers in real life yeah it's it's like uh life imitates art and and uh I don't know, i mean it's so crazy to think that that uh that that i uh, you know but like you said we're the only the only place in the world that they play. Football is North America, and even yeah, in Canada, I mean, it's not. Basketball has surpassed football in in Canada for the most for the most part. Easily. So easily. it's um, you know, it's, it's funny. There's a lot of really good Canadian basketball players. Absolutely. And I'm not just talking I about mean, Andrew it's, it's Wiggins. Not spoken about. Oh man! Don't even get me started on. <laughs>
1: um, but yeah, you know, there's a lot of good Canadian basketball players. It's it's definitely. Uh, Underrated source of
0: talent, and but, and, and the you know, Toronto and fans the will know. will be will be very quick to remind you that they are still the champions.
1: Champions, hey, they might win it again. Don't count them out. I, I mean,
0: they just don't I, have enough offense. They just can't. Know. They just can't score enough. That's the problem with that team. Is is that they don't have the one thing that Kawhi Leonard gave them was the ability to give a guy the ball. And just get out of his way, and he's gonna be able to make points. They don't have that guy. That no, Siakam's
1: he's, he's not, that no, guy he's and, not that guy,
0: not, and not uh, and he's a he's a guy that's great within the rhythm of the game, and and Lowry is not. I mean he's he's a he's a he's, jump he's shooter. Terrible. He's a small guy. In he, he pressure and, games, he's awful. It, it just is. <laughs> uh, the, you know that's the one thing they really lack. That that go to guy. That the guy. You know this. Um, my
1: boy Fred Van
0: Vliet. <laughs> he's the go-to, and he's like five eleven. <laughs> he's uh, he, he's made something of himself. He really he definitely has. has. But yeah. uh, it's it's uh, you know it's amazing ever that ever the NBA is thing. getting is is getting blasted by people left and right. But the fact is that they did it right, and they've had not a single positive test, um, in in the in their bubble, and the. The playoffs. I mean, games held. The first game was overtime, and it it looks like it's going to be a really, a really competitive year because the 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 better teams are at a little bit of a disadvantage because they don't have home court advantage. Every game is played on a neutral court with no fans. So right, it, it, it's uh,
1: that's an underrated thing.
0: And it's don't it's really that. it's it's a huge thing, especially being way out over here, you know,
1: in Orlando trapped or right less. i mean they got stuff to do there but it's still you, you know you
0: can't hang out with the you can't go home and sleep in your own bed there's no it, travel it takes a toll you know there's no travel there's no there's no home court fans to to sway the refs it, you know it, it's it's a a definite kind of and then you had the big layoff and then you had the i mean i'll be honest and i love basketball but some of the games were hard to watch because it was like almost like preseason the teams that didn't have anything to play for you turn it on and they'd have like two guys out there that were were players were actually rotation players but now that the playoffs have started it's going to be and these guys are going to be fighting tooth and nail and the fact of the matter is they all stay you know close to each other so they're going to (laughs) see they're going to see each other was they're going to pass by to go to practice and and dinners and things like that and uh it's, uh, and hockey's they, been good I mean, too. Hockey, yeah. I was just gonna say, shout out to yeah. NHL. I mean, they, they've done a great job too. I mean, the, the St. Louis Cardinals in baseball are gonna have to have like, like three weeks of double headers. I mean, they're gonna have to have left fielders pitching. I, I don't know how they're gonna do it, if, if especially if they get another outbreak and they lose more time and. Like the Marlins are like, well, yeah, the Marlins uh, don't have many losses. It's, yeah, they don't have many wins. They haven't hardly games, played any games.
1: They didn't play any games
0: for the first two and weeks. It's, it's it's just hard to figure out how that's going to happen. And uh, I mean, with Colonial shutting down last week, Ugh. you know, racing is still. I, I mean, God forbid something happens Derby Week. It just is that. Oh kind of, man, that'd be that'd be disastrous.
1: And <laughs> you see guys coming from all over the place, but
0: and you that's know, what
1: that's what I. And, just it's
0: just a, it's, and that's what i mean when when i say racing is so people in racing are so um sometimes so na- not almost naive to the fact that hey this might get shut down <laughs> you know this this might not happen and i'll give a lot of credit to to there's a guy that that fought hard to keep Goldstream open that's billy Badgett. and he fought hard against Local officials especially that I was say, were, were, were wanting to house shut house it down cool. for no good reason. For no good reason. Because there's a lot of chicken littles out there. And at the time there was really no reason to shut it down. And honestly, they became a template uh for other tracks to follow. And if if it did shut down, I don't know what would have happened here. And I wonder if it had shut down, what would have happened in other places? Because a lot of other places said, "Hey, look, they're doing it in Florida. Tampa Bay was able to keep racing. Gulfstream was able to keep racing. Why, you know, why not? We can just do what they did and 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 have no fans and separate the jockeys and um, you know do this and, uh, and, well, it, and our advice. Naira, took, Naira, our Naira, Naira took our advice. They should send they stole us. stole
1: our tip. idea. They, they, we need we need a royalty check for
0: that. Yeah, we'll probably get like a uh, <laughs> a, a bobblehead of uh, Sam the Bugler. But um, I'm okay with that. I think I'd take that as payment. Sam the Bugler actually lives <laughs> lives down here now. He's a full time Florida resident. Oh, know that. The great Sam the Bugler. He is he is a good guy. But um, you know, you think about how things might have been different and if they had shut down uh if oakland had shut down after the whole thing with sean payton and uh you know testing positive after being in the winner's circle but they kept going and sometimes the perseverance should be commended but by the same token we also have to realize that you know we're, we're dealing with unprecedented things and we can't get greedy and we can't start complaining oh When's purse money gonna go back up? When are we gonna run more days? When are we gonna do this? When are we gonna do that? And that—that's something that we all have to—to—not to forget that we still are in a pandemic and there's still a lot of people that are dying. And and yes, it's becoming more normalized, part of our life, like it or not. The the dealing with, um, wearing masks, where wearing you know. <laughs> places not being open places shutting down it, it it's and i don't want to get into too many social issues here but it's not the same as it was in march when people were really really in fear when there was like they weren't sure what was going to happen and like in florida where i live because you, you live in a little different area than the florida and i do but here it's business as usual it's normal You go places, and there's lots of people out. And most of them have masks on, but a lot of them don't. And it's easy for us in racing, uh, especially down here, because we never stopped. Training never stopped. We missed one day of racing. One day. And the purses here actually went up because the handle was so strong for a while. And the handle is strong here normally. Um, But... It's easy to get lost in that. Hey, everything's still kind of normal, especially when you're not at the track. If you're going to Saratoga and, and you're at Saratoga and you walk in and you're at that place and you see a race and there's, uh, two hundred <laughs> people total, including gate crew, including security, including uh, everyone that works there. It's it's really abnormal. But when you're watching on TV, you can't tell the You forget. You yep, forget I, I sometimes. Average-
1: I was thinking that same thing this weekend. I was like, man, you know, until they showed one of those those camera shots where it was from the infield looking at the the seats,
0: and the seats were all covered in, in like a gray cover, yeah. I almost forgot that there was nobody there. I was watching a hockey game last night, and it was the same kind of thing. And they kind of had the fake sound, you know, fan stuff piped in or whatever. And then when they when they go to the corners and then you can see, like you said, the coverings over the seats, then it looks weird. But when they're playing and they're going up and down and it the focus is just on the, the ice, it doesn't really look that different. And it doesn't yeah, sound there's it there's doesn't place. sound that I mean, different. It's,
1: it's, it's the game.
0: Right. And I think that a lot of times in, in horse racing, we get lulled into thinking that everything's okay and 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 everything's not quite okay yet and and i think that's something that we have to come to terms with and uh i don't know what's going to happen in the winter time i don't know and no one no one really does and we don't know if this thing is going to get worse all of a sudden or better i mean the fact is it's 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 almost impossible to find accurate information because everything is so politicalized it's everything is just you know, it, it's, it's, everything we hear is massaged to some point. So the idea that we can actually f- try to figure out, are we doing better? Are we doing worse? I, I don't even know. I don't even know anymore. And and I, you know what? I honestly, I just stopped trying to think about it because there's nothing I can do about it except, you know, you, you take care of yourself, you protect yourself, you do what you, you know, what you can. And um, that that's all any of us can really do. But it's it's racing is, is in a predicament where um there's a lot of guys on the backside that are are on thinner ice than they usually are. And a lot of them are thin ice to start with. Right, yeah, I mean
1: it's just a, a tiptoe uh high wire act. You know, and it just made it worse like they threw a piano on their
0: back. <laughs> and if and if some tracks have to shut down, some circuits have to shut down, where do people go? Where do we go? And and that's 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 a question that's it's not gonna be easy to answer. And uh and that's why things like what Sal proposed about having some rated races or having some handicap races of some sort, uh, of doing things a little different to try to make the product better. And that that's why those are important, because those are things that we control. We don't have to go to the state government and ask, hey, we want to change our condition book. We don't have to ask permission to do that. There's no regulations that we have to, to follow or go through. We can. We can change things but people have to have an open mind about it and again the problem is not usually the people on the lower end of the scale because they don't feel like they have much say anyways they're going to go along with what happens it's the guys that are really doing well they're going to say well I don't want to change I'm doing really well why do I want to change and sometimes you have to say you know what we don't care it's, it's either going to be for the good of the game or it's going to be to the detriment of the game and sometimes, what's good for individuals isn't good for the whole sport as a whole. I mean, it's so plainly obvious to people that can take a step back. It's so plainly obvious to people that aren't um, th- that are following it, but don't draw a paycheck from it. Don't aren't, aren't, aren't well, making money from in. it. Right. They can see it easily, and and sometimes it's frustrating for me trying to explain to people that are in it why this this, this could be a good idea. And you try to tell people, hey, you're a medium-sized guy. Aren't you sick of running horses that are worth 12.5 for 12.5 and having the guy over there who's got four barns take a horse that's been running for 30 and running for 12.5, and he goes off 3 to 5, and you can't beat him? And he, he might claim your horse... And then take your horse and 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 you know run him back for eight, and you say, "Well, yeah, I'll claim him back for eight, but maybe three or four other guys will try to claim him back for eight right and then you'll have you'll, you'll have then, then you'll have then you'll have an empty stall for six weeks or eight weeks, and maybe two other guys are doing the same thing and and then once you claim for eight, what are you gonna do? you gotta move him back up, so you're moving him up and and the other guy's moving he's got another horse to move down and it's it's just uh, things have to be leveled out somewhat. There has to be a better um, distribution of horses. If we don't do that, all the other crap we do doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because we're going to wind up running more and more four and five horse fields. They're just not that interesting. No, not even not that a little bit. <laughs> not even a little bit. They're just it's just it's just bad business and. To think that the game is just going to naturally kind of go back, it's not. It's not. And when I look, like I said before, when I look at that Saratoga program from a Thursday 25 years ago, and I see a race, the last race is a $100,000 claimer with a 12-horse field going a mile and an eighth, and they run the test on a Thursday, and it's a 10-horse field, and Lady Secret's making her 11th start of the year. And when I see... Uh, maiden races have fourteen two-year-olds, and I see New York bred maidens have fourteen or split with 14. 12 and two alsos, when they didn't have to have six turf races a day, and I have nothing against turf racing, but there's days when, a turf dominant card gets taken off the, because of weather, and they just become abysmal. Oh, this is the worst. Right, and and. and I get it. Especially it's nature, and and and, it's and awesome. people like turf racing. It's no, there's no doubt. Uh, I mean, turf racing is is great. It's here to stay. And, but there are downsides to it as well, and and that's the thing is is trying to come up with new ideas to get a better product on the, on the track is is what it will save the sport. It's it's not going to make the people who are currently using the sit the system to their advantage, but how long until we we say you know we have to take a stand against those people and that that's the thing is um a lot of guys like me they they left they didn't they they didn't keep fighting they they walked away because they figured they're never going to they're never going to get battle. they're never yeah. going to get help and that's that's one of the um that's one of the things that we have to change. That that's something we can fix. It's something we can fix. We can't have one trainer who's got three hundred two-year-olds. We can't have one trainer ha- has has eighty percent of the nominations for a stake race. Then you know what? Don't run the stake race. Don't run it. Cancel it. You have to do something. And we're getting to the point where where the difference isn't... We're not cutting back from six days of racing a week to five days of racing a week. Some places we're cutting back from three to two.
1: Right, and it's, it's almost to the point where it's, uh, you know, you got to make a change before the change makes you change or forces you to change. You know, you don't want to be forced into a change that you, you didn't really want to go because that's forcing the, the path at least give yourself outs and options and and it looks like nobody wants to do that and and it's just going to you know the, the forcing of of a certain direction is going to happen it seems
0: yeah there's no doubt about it and and uh I guess we probably babbled on long enough about it today all right but um we're going to we're gonna have that show tomorrow. I, I have a trainer from overseas. It's going to give her idea. Um, give give her uh, her view of 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 the handicap system that they have over in Europe and the differences between uh, countries and the negatives and positives as she sees them. Of course, it's a little bit of a different style of racing, but it's it's still good to get um, an actual opinion from someone who lives it, who who deals with it, as opposed to hearing the opinion of someone from here who really doesn't really know what's going on there, but says, oh, it's from Europe, it must be better, which is something that's happened in our business a lot. Well, oh, it's the the, the you know, the Europeans do it. And it's like, well, yeah, not exactly. <laughs> People sometimes <laughs> believe that European horses run every week, and they they all, uh, you know, they're all sound. They never bleed, and they're all great. And everybody's happy. And they all train and 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 through forests, and and uh, everybody goes has a pint, and uh, you know, they're all everybody hold hands and sings kumbaya. It's it's not like that. It's not like that. Yeah. So uh, I was at the New Market sale, the Racing Age sale in October a couple years, and I saw a lot of horses that were really, really, really sore that had just run, like. You know, uh, Mountaineer sore, you know, not like. The, oh, boy. Yeah, horses with big shins, horses that that didn't look all that great. That John Gosden doesn't train every single horse in Europe. They're not all. <laughs> <And> <laughs> Aiden O'Brien doesn't have 900 horses, though it seems like it sometimes. There's a lot of other racing that we don't see, that we don't pay much attention to. But most of that second-level racing is, is not that dissimilar to our second-level racing. And the problems of their trainers and their owners, uh, purse money is, is really not very good over there. Yeah, I'm definitely and, interested in hearing what she has to say on that. And uh, she she um she worked over here for years. She worked for me for a while. Um, Ilka Gansara is her name. Uh, she's married, and her husband's got a French last name, and I'm not going to butcher it. But... Uh, <laughs> Ilka's really a uh, uh, a sharp a sharp person. Uh she she's um she got a vet uh she's a veterinarian. She went to uh vet school and uh I don't know about her career choice of becoming a trainer instead of becoming a vet, but but she has her own yard over in um in Newmarket and um she's got a you know, medium sized stable and she does pretty good. Um and she's got some definitely uh u- unique uh views of of certain things and uh i i have been meaning to have her on and um it just uh with the handicap system good timing talking about it it just seemed like a good time because there are some th- listen i this isn't like oh yeah we'll put this in and everything'll be great it it'll be difficult to implement it's not going to be easy The truth is a track like Gulfstream in the summer might be easier to do it than somewhere else because there's not a lot of other options from here you know if you want another option you got to put your horse on a a, a truck and you're about 18 hours away from the next closest track so this might be a a spot where some of those kind of concepts would work a little you know would could be implemented a little easier but but um I mean, thinking out of the box, it's, it's something that we have to do because um, if we just continue to do the same thing over and over again and just say, hey, oh, this was really, handle was really great, you know, this week, but then next week it's not so great, and we just kind of ignore that. Um, you know, that that's, uh, that's racing in a nutshell, but that's... Uh, that's why we're here, to, to point out all the errors of people's ways. Yes, indeed. So. so, thank you for your time as usual. Big Monday, we're making it a, a big day, big night. Hell
1: yeah. It's what we do. Big Monday. Big and Monday. And it brings back memories.
0: <laughs> it sure does. When college basketball was college basketball
1: send it in Jerome that, that's what Big Monday will always mean to me
0: that was the last good play Sean Miller made <laughs> well
1: paying Aiden wasn't that bad the worst
0: thing he could have did yeah, I know You just, you know...
1: Paying guys in general isn't the worst thing. Hey,
0: yeah. It's just frowned upon by a certain entity. Paying people for, like, you know, (laughs) paying people a pittance for making you millions, you know, it's, uh... How uh, dare they? I just wish you would have paid him to stay another year. Yeah, I don't think he had enough money for that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's, uh... It's, it's it's funny, things change, you know, sports change. College basketball has changed so much in and, and, and the twenty five last thirty years where the the Michael Jordan years were 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 you had seniors and, and these teams would come back year after year at Georgetown with Pat Ewing and Ralph Sampson and Virginia and I guess I was lucky in that that was kind of the the modern day golden age. Um or the Big East, and I, I mean, we were, you know, we were brought up in the East. So in the, we I lived in New York. So I mean, this was like uh, our guys, Walter Barry, the truth. Right. My and, father, uh, my father was a referee in the Big East. Yeah, per wash. I probably cursed at your father more than once. Many
1: times, I'm sure.
0: What are you blind? Um, <laughs> but you
1: know what's funny about that is I have I have a few friends that are NBA scouts and the way they view it is anybody that stays up to their senior year there's probably some flaws in their game yeah no doubt about it <laughs> you know and, and it's it's absurd but
0: there's, there's a there's a uh, right now. there's there's an nba executive a really highly ranking nba executive that, that used to be related to me before i got divorced and i had a conversation with him one time about this and he said listen i asked him if he would ever consider going back to college and he's like are you nuts college is the worst he goes, you spend so little time on basketball. There's all these restrictions. All you do is recruit. Yeah, you gotta go 20-year-olds. lie to 16 year olds. He goes, it's just, it's a nightmare. And, and, and uh, you know, we talked about a lot of different things. And he said, listen, I would rather have a guy be one and done and, and come in and, and get our coaching, learn to be a pro, get get in shape. He goes, college guys aren't in shape. He goes, they're not in shape. They're not, not an, like NBA no. guys, I know that. He said they don't allow them to practice enough. And, you know, you're in college and, you know, thing, you're, you're only allowed to, you know, practice and play so much, so the rest of the time isn't usually spent on schoolwork. And, uh, uh-huh. you know, the developmental stage of so many guys is so much stronger um, once they get professional coaching and, and they're made, they're doing it, all the time, full time, and and uh, it kind of killed college basketball because there's just no continuity to it, and, and uh, I mean, it used to be a guy like Zion Williamson would come into Duke and he'd be there two or three years. So you'd see him yeah, as the a freshman, be there two three and you'd see him as a freshman, and then you'd see him, you know, you know what you had coming as a sophomore, and you'd see these guys develop and they would get better, and you knew the players, and the players played with each other too. I mean, that's another thing you see is that uh, so many of these teams' best players are freshmen, and you got three or four freshmen coming in from different teams, from different spots, a lot of them have been the guy, and now they have to get used to shooting the ball 11 times a game, not... 29 times a game now they have to learn to play off the ball they have to learn they're not the biggest star they're they have to learn that the coach is the star not them and and it by the time these teams gel a lot of times it's the it's the tournament and and you know they they god forbid they get upset and three or four of them are off to off to the pros or or you know if they don't get drafted they wind up in europe or somewhere and 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 the next crop of freshmen come and it's it's the same thing happens and it it really is is, uh it just it 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 really made my interest in college basketball kind of wane because a lot of the times you'd watch the games and the, the the we talk about the product in horse racing the product in college basketball suffered because you had all these guys who were freshmen and they were not they weren't a team yet they were they're not allowed a lot of practice time so you're watching them and they're sloppy and they're good players, but they're not making they just shots. Time, right? right. And it's like you're watching the preseason except that it lasts until, you know, March. <laughs> I was gonna say at least Valentine's Day. And the refs the refs are like, you know, they they call so many fouls. It just gets to be where I, I don't hardly watch basketball, college basketball anymore because I can't it's a foul shooting contest. And it, it's just uh it just sucks and it's funny because you watch college football, and the difference between college football and the NFL uh, visually isn't that big of a – it's not that it's great. It's not a huge It's team. not that it's, great. It's not. And then you, when you watch college basketball, and you see these guys clanking up 13-footers. Way different. And, and then you see, you totally see Dame different. Lillard shooting from half court, like confidently, with no issues – it's a to- It's like man, these guys are playing a different game, isn't it? It is not <laughs> he its It's totally the same different thing. game, and and it's really hurt college basketball. March Madness is still great, but it isn't as great as it was. And I don't want to sound like one of the old fogies, but it's not as great as it used to be. It just isn't. It just no. isn't. And uh, I mean, I remember the wars they had, Georgetown and St. John's and Syracuse, and then no. UConn got good, and and uh, Seton Hall was always kind of. Like and just just in the Big East alone, and then you know you I had. Mean, I
1: saw Seton Hall in the Final Four.
0: I went T- to that one. Terry Terry DeHair. Yep. Yeah. yeah, I mean, and, and Andrew Gaze. Yes. Yeah, the one of the original losses, one How of the first it, Aussies. Andrew Gaze. Seattle. It's it's. Uh, I mean, I I still remember the the intensity, and you knew the guys. And they knew each other. You know, they played yeah, with each other for, for two or three years. And that's back when coaches, they could hold two a.m. practices if they wanted to. They were a little bit dictator. They <laughs> you know. did whatever. <laughs> yeah, they were. They were no like rules. dictators. They were like dictators. But it, it's gotten to be. Um, it really, it really is kind of it. it it's it's not that dissimilar to racing where it's a no. watered down product and it's not this. It's not as good as it used to be, and. I don't know how to change it, other than maybe try to just do some different things. But I I know what the problems are, but it's just getting people to solve them. And, and you know the biggest problem college basketball has is the best players aren't aren't gonna stay. They're no, not gonna they, they stay. Won't. And now the they, NBA's no got incentive. they jacked up the G League and they're starting to give those guys you know half a million dollars. Even Sean Miller and maybe we'll come up with half a million to keep a guy. So <laughs> you know what my problem with Sean Miller is. They choke every year. They have a good team. They have good teams. I mean, they play well, and then they get in the tournament, and all of a sudden, like after the second round, the year, it's like everybody's legs had, become uh, like concrete. Had, uh Aaron Gordon,
1: but that was that was pre-Sean Miller, I think.
0: No, he was there. Eric, well, he was, he was there when, when yeah. Aaron Gordon was there? Oh, yeah. I mean, that team was really good. I don't know Karpowski, what happened yeah. they had uh, Nick Johnson, they had the kid yes. that could shoot. um no, it was it was a college team that was built to win, and they didn't. And I know I'm crying, but, you know, the people of Kentucky cry. They cry if you don't rank them number one. People in North Carolina cry over over uh, Joe Biden who coaches them. Not, oh, not Joe Biden. Uh, what's his name? Uh... uh Roy, Roy uh, Williams, who's like Joe Biden, he doesn't seem like he knows where he's at anymore. Man, don't even get me started on him. I, I your cousin your it. cousin Dave Spears goes nuts during the Carolina games. I know. He, I, we were talking about he that. He screams as a, but... at the TV, call a timeout. <laughs> they got to get rid of this guy. Said, Dave, he's an all of he's He's got like 17 national championships. I don't care. they got to fire yeah. him. they got to bring he's... somebody else in. Man, I'm, I,
1: mean, I feel him. I'm, I'm with him
0: on that. And the craziest thing about college basketball is Jim Beheim is still coaching, and he still looks exactly like he did 30 years ago. <laughs> Seriously, that guy and Nicholas Cage, they've never aged.
1: Never aged a day.
0: Jim Beheim looks the same. He's got a kid that plays for him. He's been there I since know. I was a little kid. I we, we went to basketball camp at Syracuse, me and Dave and a couple guys from Saratoga and he, he he looked like he looked he looked then like he does now. He was there when Roosevelt Bowie was there. Oh boy, <laughs> Jesus! I mean, think about that, and he's still there, still there. Well, I know we kind of got off topic, and people are probably be like, "These morons talked about basketball," but we do it all. Hey, we 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 drew a line between basketball and racing. You know, college That's basketball right. and racing have both declined in in quality, and it's just you know, there's still superstars. So, <laughs> I made a statement about Steve Asmussen's horse that won the maiden race at Saratoga yesterday, and it just kind of hit me. Like I watched the race. Because I had heard that she, I saw that people praising her and, and, and saying how good the horse had run. So I went and I turned to race that guy and I, and, I, and I watched the replay and the horse ran well. I mean, she clearly was dominant against that field. And then I started looking at the field and, and half the, you know, the one horse went to the lead and totally stopped. Mott's horse like Stop. came to a walk. Uh, Dale Roman's horse never got out of a gallop the whole race. I, I don't know what was going on. That horse was 25 lengths behind after a quarter mile and just stayed back there. She crossed the wire, but like it, it was like bizarre. Chad Brown's one horse ran really green; the other horse ran like a turf horse. And yeah, the track was playing a little slow, and and it, it's hard. You you sound like a curmudgeon when you start knocking horses, two year olds, first timers to win by six, first time out under under wraps, you know. But this is one of the things that I w- I was thinking, of, and I said something to Junior. I said, you know, it's so much easier now for the best horse to win because you don't have to overcome 12 horse fields you don't have to overcome bad posts you don't have to to overcome traffic these fields they 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 shuffle out down the backside and the best horse gets good trips all the time and you're you're giving them um the most talented horse is going to win when you give them a good trip and a good setup they're going to win a lot more than they used to. And in the last five or six years there's been more odds on first timers than there was the first 40 years of my life. I remember Devil's Bag was like an international tip at Saratoga. Like every single person in Saratoga bet on Devil's Bag. And I think he went off like I think he went off like 9 to 5, 8 to 5. And it was a 12 horse field, and it was a couple of horses in there people liked. But Devil's back, everybody was like Devil's. But Woody's got a horse that's, uh, that's an absolute stone cold runner. And he was. Nowadays, it had been a six horse field because people, all oh, don't want to run with him. And he'd have been one <laughs> to nine. It's true. It's true. We had a horse when I worked for Jerkins called Dixie Flag, and she could really run. She won the Acorn. She, she was a good horse. And she was the definition of flighty. Like she was a horse that had a wire loose in her brain and she would be fine. And next thing you knows, know, she would like freak out. Like Jimmy Jerkins, wound up, I think she wound up, um, uh, he was still working for the chief when we, we had her and he went in her stall one day to attack her up or something. next thing I know, I hear a whole bunch of yelling and screaming and uh, she had like flipped over and, and landed on his knee and he had to have like knee surgery. Um, but she was just uh, uh like like just the definition of, 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 of flighty, but she was fast. And we had her entered at Saratoga and, and it was one of those maiden races, everybody liked their horse and um we scratched her because she she was coughing the morning of the race. And I remember um Alan said, Chuck, call Mrs. DuPont, tell her not to come. Because uh, she would fly up for the race, and I had called down there to her, her, uh, her place, and she had just left. there were she was taking the plane up, and uh, it, it tell you, pe- pe- she was like such a nice lady. <laughs> Sometimes I don't, think, I don't think she knew who the hell I was, but she was really <laughs> a nice lady. And uh, she, they got there, and I was like, Ugh. you know, um, she, the Philly was coughing this morning, and, and Alan scratched her, and I tried to call, but we missed you and. Oh well, that's okay. We you know, just do the best thing for the filly. Blah blah blah. And so, we were gonna bet on this horse. John Luke, Samin, who who was like, John Luke was always kind of like, ah, ah. Yeah. So do you like this horse? Well, you know, sorry. so he said, "This is the fastest filly I've been on in twenty years." This is before she ever ran. So, like Samin wasn't the type to like pump horses up. And he really, really liked her. So, um we had to scratch out of this twelve horse field. We were like eight to one morning line. And who knows what she would have gone off, but it wouldn't have been odds on. So we get back down to Belmont and um there's a bunch of sick horses. The backside was full of sick horses. We we go into a, a maiden race at Belmont. It's it's uh Carded with seven, two scratched, five horse field. We go off two to five. <laughs> oh, man. She she wins 108 and four under wraps, of course. Oh, my gosh. I said, yeah, there goes her 6-8-1. But, uh, but that that was a rarity then. I mean, it took like uh half the horses oh, on the oh, backside getting things. sick like, to like have that. It was such a, a, a something. Final that, destination. Yes, moment. it didn't happen. <laughs> now it happens so much. And, and I'm like, you know, that filly's a nice filly. I'm not saying she's not, and, and certainly she did everything right, and she looked good, but man, she had a, like you couldn't have drawn up a better trip. She just sat third behind two dueling leaders, one of which completely stopped, the other one's kind of running a little green, and she just, you know beat the crap out of them like she should and, and I just it's just, it's just not the same when you see, and I know COVID and horses got late starts and the two-year-old sales were delayed, and I, I know, I know, I know there's always excuses, but it just is, uh, you just miss that competition of seeing those full fields and going over there and, and three or four different guys say, you know, my horse can really run, my horse can really run. We we had a horse named Rage when I worked for the Chief. Oh, I remember. Yeah, we had a horse named Rage. He, he almost killed me in the paddock, trying to put blinkers on him. And, um, he he was actually aptly named. And, um, my ex-wife, Paula, was actually riding her. And, um... I think Julie wound up on honor for the race but um um we liked him we we thought he could run some and uh we get in a race at Saratoga and uh we we just got beat for second but the winner was uh none other than Unbridled Song <laughs> so you know he wound up run sometimes running in those type of races at Saratoga where you you know you like your horse, this other guy likes his horse, this guy likes his horse, but then you know the horse who wins it is like a, a superstar yeah <laughs> he he he's he's really 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 good and and it just seems like there's only a couple guys that have their two year olds ready now and and um you know I don't wanna i wanna belabor the point but uh but we gotta get back to where racing's competitive at the highest levels and we have to get back to where um we have less three to five shots and just tell me uh, about it man you know it's it's uh and someone was asking about you know voided claims and, and i was thinking about that and that if you win a race with a horse he gets claim from you and then the claim gets voided because the horse comes back a little sore well you're almost kind of doing the guy a favor in that now you're going to give the horse a little time and now you can win another race with the horse. And I know voided claim rules are good. I, I worked on one um, as official part of my capacity on the board of, of the Florida HVPA. A um, couple years ago, I worked with uh, another trainer and, and a racetrack uh, racing official to come up with a, Avoided claim rule, and it wasn't easy to do. It was difficult to do because there's so many different scenarios, and you're trying to cover a lot of them, and you want to protect the horse, but you also don't want to make it where there's seven voided claims a day, and um, it it was tough to come up with a rule that that everybody would accept, and um, you know the the ultimate, um, I think, deterrent is just. Uh, not be able to lose a horse that you want to lose, and people are in racing and say, "Well, that's part of the game." Well, this isn't cards where you can just, you know, fold and then you 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 play the next hand and everything's fine. You're still dealing with living creatures, and I always was a little skeptical, even when I trained. I was a little skeptical about putting horses out there that that shouldn't be out there. I didn't. I wouldn't do it. And a lot of guys will do it, and it's 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 better than it was. I had a vet come up and tell me this about two or three months after we put that claiming that Void Acclaimer rule in. And he said, you know, I really want to commend you guys because I'll tell you what this is a completely unscientific survey, but I've had so fewer trainers ask me to try to quote unquote get a horse through a race because they might get claimed. He goes, now that they know that the claim will get voided. There's no incentive to... A lot of... It's a a disincentive to try to do that. And when I see tracks kind of tamper back those rules, it it kind of like, oof, you know? It's scary, yeah. And it's hard to come up with rules. And that's the thing is that it's hard to come up with rules to legislate everything because there's always going to be ways around rules. There's always going to be cases and scenarios that are different. Um we had originally we were going to do the rule where you had 48 hour, or uh, 24 hours to return the horse but well so what if a horse gets claimed on Sunday in the last race there's no stewards there's no there's no track vet on Mondays we don't race on Mondays so are we going to have to put these are we going to have to pay a steward to come in just in case someone wants yes, to right. you know the right. <laughs> it, 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 and it and it becomes uh a, a logistic thing and it becomes a, a you know, I mean there there's there was certain um things that sounded like great and, until then you started saying, well, uh if you put a, a, a six hour rule in, an eight hour rule, um if you if you're in a the twelfth race, uh, you know, you're gonna get the state vet to drive back out at eleven o'clock at night <laughs> to look at your horse yeah, and that you know, and, and when you turn your horse over to someone else and you don't know what's going on with them. And then they come back. I mean, it's just a, uh, it's not the easiest thing in the world to do. And, and I think that the, a, a lot of the rules have helped somewhat, but, but um, it's, it's a, uh, it's still, we, we have to always try to do better. And, um. and, and it, like the green grotto thing, it really got to me because I said, Hey, what are these people doing? Like. Where's, they shouldn't have took that entry. No, like, where, where's the upside to that? There's no upside. And, and those are the things that we have to. We control that. We control that. There's no upside to those horses running. There's no upside to it. It's only downside. Only downside. And, and that's the thing is, is that, like, we can't control everything that happens in this world. And there's going to be. Horses are going to die. People are going to die because death is part of life. But we have to mitigate it as much as possible, where we have uh you know to make it where it, it's it's almost out of our control where things have to be um rarities they're they're tragedies, but they're not things you see coming as opposed to a ten year old horse off two and a half years with three bad works dropping down Spells to a twenty claims right yeah. i mean it, it it just it just screams like like why?" where where is the benefit to this and and um you know there was a, a seemingly a a good ending to that story the horse has been retired he's, there's plenty of um there was plenty of interest in, in having him go places that are going to be uh soft landing spots for him where he might be able to get another career and 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 he's fortunate in that he is a horse that has a name attached to him he won big races he made a lot of money so People do pay a lot more attention to those type of, of horses, and and they get a better chance. There's no doubt about that than some horse that that maybe was in a, a, a kind of a similar situation, but doesn't have that um, stakes pedigree and, and doesn't have that uh, that background. And, and um, you know, we gotta we gotta take care of those ones too. Well, this is like the Belmont Stakes of podcasts. <laughs> But uh we did touch on it quite a bit. Yes indeed. Well Barry, it's a pleasure always to have your insight and input and uh your uh your perspective. And uh I hope that the the rest of the week is as productive as as today's show has been.
1: Oh, no, it definitely will be. I Appreciate say, it, man. Always say, a pleasure to be on with
0: you. Say hi to my little friend, Breezy. Oh yeah. He's going nuts right now. <laughs> oh, I, I can only imagine. And and uh, and congratulations on becoming a a chef. I, hey, those ribs were pretty good,
1: man. So you gotta you gotta make your way up to Daytona. Listen i Get I'll, some
0: of this. Uh uh There's not a whole lot that gets me out of uh, the South Florida area, but ribs are one thing that I, I'll I'll travel for for sure. Well, I got you, man. Sounds good, Barry. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right, take care. You got it. That was Mr. Barry Spears. And um, this show has kind of gone on forever. So we will wrap it up. Our our Big Monday show. Kind of fun to reminisce about. When Big Monday meant something. We will be on live tomorrow from 2 to 4. And obviously we'll have the a replay of that podcast and we are going to talk to uh, Paul Maddie's, and we are going to talk to Ilka Goncera for sure. I have a couple other people I'm still trying to get on. Uh, like to get a racing secretary's view of, of the changes and, and kind of the challenges to, to, to making wholesale changes that, that this would require. And um, uh, I'd also like to, to get a couple other people, uh, kind of points of view because um, there's a lot of different ways of looking at it and, and and there's no one perfect system that I think that'll be say alright this is what we'll do and it, it'll all fall into place I, I think that it'll take a lot of input and, and uh, some trial and error and but I, it's certainly something that, that uh, it doesn't hurt to talk about it well uh, I've done a lot of talking tonight so I want to thank you for listening if you've got to this point And uh, we will see you tomorrow night.